Chapter 10 of the Red Cross Girls with the Russian Army. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mildred's Opportunity. For five days and nights, the firing continued almost without cessation. In a measure, the occupants of the Russian fortress grew accustomed to the noises, unless one explosion seemed a little more terrific than the others. Actually, the Red Cross nurses went about their work inside the hospital wing of the fort as though the Germans were not attacking. There was one fact, however, that could not be overlooked. More and more wounded were constantly being brought in, until not only the cots but most of the floor space of the wards were covered with stricken soldiers. There was no definite news. No one could say whether the Germans had been seriously depleted by the Russian gunfire or whether the Grovno fort would be able to continue its resistance. A few of the outer defenses had already fallen. The Russian soldiers in the trenches behind the first line of barricades had sought safety inside the fortress. But these signs meant nothing of moment, and no one dared ask questions of the Russian officers, who alone might know the purpose of their commander. Then, on the morning of the seventh day at dawn, Mildred Thornton, who chanced to be gazing out of a small window which overlooked the courtyard of the fort, made a discovery. She had not been asleep all night, as there was so much work to be done, but on the way to her room had stopped for a single breath of fresh air after the fever and confusion of the hospital. What she saw were enormous cannon being lifted on low motor trucks, and these trucks being driven as swiftly as possible outside the Grovno gate and along the Russian highway there were a few soldiers accompanying them. Almost with the flash of an intuition, the idea came to Mildred. General Alexis was contemplating a retreat. He must have decided that, alone and with only a limited number of regiments at his command, he would be unable to hold out against the enemy for an unlimited time. Therefore, it might be wiser to draw them further into Russia and away from their own supplies. General Alexis could join Grand Duke Nicholas beyond the Stir River and there be better prepared to meet the invaders. Mildred knew that the country on the other side of the river covered miles of swamps. If the bridges over the river were destroyed, the Germans would find great difficulty in pursuit. Therefore, the cannon and other heavy guns, with whatever munitions could be spared, were first to be taken to places of safety. Later on, General Alexis would probably give orders for a more general retreat, but when Grovno fell, the Germans would find none of the spoils of war left behind for the victors. All this Mildred thought out slowly and carefully as she stood for a few moments beside the tiny window. Then she went into her room, changed her uniform for a fresher one, and returned to her work. Not a word of her idea did she breathe to anyone. She had no foundation for her impression, and at first it was an impression nothing more, yet Barbara or Nona might have been frightened by the suggestion. However, as the dawn passed and the hours of the day followed, other persons beside Mildred Thornton began dimly to appreciate the possible conditions. More and more of the munitions of war were hauled away, and surely this did not look as if the fight were to be persisted in at Grovno. Finally, just before twilight, the order came that the wounded, with their nurses and surgeons, were to be moved at nightfall. Whatever preparations were necessary must be made at once. Silently, small groups of soldiers were already being marched away. 
Oh, of course the old guns of the famous fortress continued to belch forth destruction, and there was no lessening of the front ranks of soldiers who were directly attacking the enemy. General Alexis was merely drawing off the men whom he did not actually need for defense. Grovno could be protected by a comparatively small number of soldiers without the enemy appreciating any depreciation in their numbers, for all the firing was done behind a barricade of walls. So far, the Germans were about a mile away. There would be no hand-to-hand -hand combats until the fortress was finally demolished. Even under such dangerous conditions, the American Red Cross girls were relieved to hear that they were to be sent from Grovno. They were also told that they were not to follow the army. As soon as they reached a railroad, the wounded and their nurses were to be removed to Petrograd. There, they would find hospitals ready for their accommodation. So, it was to be Petrograd after all. The three girls were not seriously frightened. Indeed, they were less so than at the time of the French retreat. It was so evident that General Alexis was providing for the safety of the wounded before the danger time. They would find all the roads open to them now, while the Germans were being held on the farther side of the ancient stone walls. Just after dusk, the hospital staff and their patients were ready for departure. Parties of ten, consisting of seven wounded soldiers, two nurses, and a physician, gathered quietly in the stone courtyard enclosed by the wings of the fortress. They were then placed in low carts, drawn by gaunt horses and driven by a Russian moujik, wearing a long blouse, high boots, and a cap with a peculiar Russian peak. There were no such facilities for transportation in Russia as the American Red Cross girls had found in France. The motor cars and ambulances owned by the Russian army were few in number and inadequate to their needs. These could only be employed in cases where swiftness was a pressing necessity. The three American girls were standing together just outside a stone doorway leading into the yard and awaiting orders. As a matter of course, they wore the Red Cross uniforms, the long circular cape, and the small, close-fitting bonnet. But Barbara had also put on nearly everything else she possessed. They would be traveling all night under extremely uncomfortable conditions and through a bitterly cold country. In fact, Barbara looked rather like a little mother bunch with her squirrel fur coat on top of her sweater and her cape over them both and carrying her army blanket. Mildred was also prepared for the cold with a heavy coat under her uniform cape. Unfortunately, Nona owned nothing to make her more comfortable except that Mildred had insisted upon lending her her sweater. But both girls had their blankets over their arms and small bags in their hands. There would be no room for other luggage. We are going to have a wonderful night, I think, Barbara murmured. Of course it will be hard, and we may have to suffer discomfort and see others suffering far worse things. But a retreat through this strange country with its odd inhabitants, as unlike as if they belonged in different planets, will be an, an experience none of us will ever wish to forget. It was curious that Barbara should almost whisper her little speech, as if her voice could be heard above the uproar of the cannonading. Yet in the pauses between the firing, lasting a few moments, the silence seemed almost unearthly. At present, there was just such a silence, so that the American girls could even hear the creaking of the old wagon wheels as the ambulance carts rolled out of the fortress yard. Now and then there was a faint groan from a wounded man that could not be repressed. The wagons had no springs, but were made as comfortable as possible by layers of hay covering the wagon floors. 
Almost the moment that Barbara's speech was finished, someone suddenly stepped out of the door near which the three girls were standing. Looking up, they discovered a colonel in the Russian army on the personal staff of General Alexis. No one of the three girls knew the officer's name. His rank they recognized from the uniform he wore. Moreover, they had observed him always accompanying the Russian commander as one of his chief aides. His appearance in the courtyard at this moment was surprising, but in all probability he wished to issue a direct order concerning the plan of retreat. Yet the officer did not at once move forward to where groups of soldiers were also making preparations to be on the march. Instead, he stood for a few moments just outside the door, gazing searchingly about him. No one of the Red Cross girls spoke. They were too awed by the gravity of the situation to make trivial remarks. Moreover, the big Russian officer was an impressive figure. It was more interesting to watch him until they were summoned to take their places in the wagons that were now leaving the fortress at intervals of about ten minutes apart. By chance, Mildred Thornton made a movement, and immediately the Russian colonel directed his glance toward her. He stared at her for a moment in silence and then, stepping forward, touched her upon the arm. I should like to speak to you a moment alone, nurse, he announced in low tones although Barbara and Nona both heard this part of his speech. Instantly Mildred complied, and the girl and man moved a few feet away, where they could talk without being overheard. Under the circumstances, neither Barbara nor Nona had the temerity to follow them, but this did not mean that they were not both extraordinarily curious. At least they strained their ears as much as possible in order to try and catch a stray word spoken either by Mildred or her companion but they heard nothing except the low murmur of the two voices, the officer asking questions, and Mildred making replies. "'What on earth do you suppose he can be saying to Mill?' Barbara finally whispered. Nona only shook her head. Any guessing would be a pure waste of energy, since Mildred would return in a few moments to explain. She did come back almost immediately, but with her first words her friends realized that something unusual had occurred. Ordinarily, Mildred was calm and self-possessed. Now her voice shook, and indeed she seemed to be shivering either from cold or excitement. I can't go with you to Petrograd, girls, she said quietly enough, however. Listen, please, so I can make matters plain to you, for you may be ordered to leave at any moment. Barbara, I want you to write my father and mother and try and make them see I had no choice in this decision but you must not speak of the circumstances to anyone else. It would be dangerous for me and for us all if you betray this confidence. The officer who talked with me just then is Colonel Fyodorovich. He is very near General Alexis and tells me that General Alexis has been wounded. The wound is not considered serious, and he refuses to give up his command or to leave the fort until the final moment for a retreat. Neither must his soldiers learn of what has taken place. His own surgeon is with him now and will remain with him, but there is a chance that they will also require a nurse. Colonel Fyodorovich came to find one before we all got away. By accident, he saw me first and requested me to remain behind. I could not refuse. Mildred! Nona and Barbara exclaimed in unison, with no attempt to conceal their dismay, almost their horror. But you can't accept, Mildred, Barbara expostulated. If you do, I shall not leave you. Why, what would your mother and father and Dick think of my deserting you at such a time? 
Besides, don't you remember that General Alexis himself wanted a safe in Petrograd before the retreat? He would be bitterly opposed to your being chosen to remain behind. Didn't you speak of this to Colonel Fyodorovitch? I couldn't, Barbara, Mildred insisted. It would have been such a long story, and Colonel Fyodorovitch knows about as much English as I do Russian. It would only have looked as though I were shirking a most important duty. General Alexis will not recall ever having thought or spoken to me at a time when the Russian army, perhaps the whole Russian nation, is dependent on his failure or success. If I can do even the least thing to help him at such a crisis, why, how could I refuse? Please try and see this as I do, Barbara, you and Nona. There may be nothing for me to do. General Alexis's wound is not serious or he could not retain his command. I must leave you now. I am wanted at once. I'll join you in Petrograd as soon as it is humanly possible. But Barbara had clutched Mildred's coat. You shall not stay alone. I am almost your sister, and I won't allow it. Quietly, Mildred unclasped the younger girl's hand. For my own sake, I would give a great deal to have you stay, Bab, but we have no choice. Remember, we are under discipline like soldiers. We must do as we are commanded. With this, Mildred returned inside the fortress. At the same instant, Nona Davis and Barbara Mead heard their names being called. At once, they moved forward and were assisted inside the wagon, which soon after passed out of the gate and moved creakingly along the main road in the direction of the Stir River. They were to cross one of its bridges, as the main army was now doing. The last of the regiments at Gravno would see that the bridges were destroyed before the German soldiers could come up to them. End of chapter 10